I want you to imagine, if you will, for a minute, just close your eyes for a second and think about this. 30 years have passed. Now you can look up. This is what David's going to look like. <laughs> Which probably scares the living daylights out of the poor kid. Who knows? <laughs> well, David caught that dreaded virus. I think this is the fifth time. And so uh, he gave me his notes and said, would you teach what I would have taught? I said, yes, I would. <laughs> so don't blame me. <laughs> no, this, this is good stuff. Last week he was talking about the hornet sting. And uh, how things in our lives that are always the positive. And uh, that God works all things together for good. Now there's some asterisks right there. For those who love God and are called, or the called, according to his purpose. That's very important. So he's, he was given this thing from Romans. And Romans is an interesting book. It's probably one of the best, in, in my personal opinion, doctrinal books in the entire Bible. It really goes through it. Now, Paul was a Pharisee. <clears throat> Pharisees were the ones who dealt with the law. We call them attorneys today. <laughs> and so, Paul lays out a case, as David often, most of all his sermons, by the way, if you were to dissect them, you'd see that he uh, lays out a case before you, bringing up both sides and tries to get us to see through the things. And Paul was one who would tell you what the subject was going to be. Then he would tell you the subject. And then he would go over the subject one more time. Three times. Once for the hearing of the word which is the body. Once is for you to contemplate it in your mind, which is the soul. And third, for the spirit to bring forth the revelation from it, which is the third part of how we're made up, body, soul, and spirit. And so when, when Paul's going through this, it wasn't written in chapter and verse. It was just a letter. And... Uh, He's presenting a case in this letter. So sometimes there's breaks that, in my personal opinion, are in the wrong spot. You know, they, they break a, one chapter into another chapter. It doesn't always, that's not necessarily where the break belongs. So here we are looking at this from the point of view that it was written by the Apostle Paul underneath the direction of the Holy Spirit and he's going to lay out for us a case. Now, the case he's going to lay out for us isn't the way we think. It's not from man's point of view. Unfortunately, a lot of theology has been based on man viewing God's 
information instead of receiving from God what he says to us and believing what he says, whether it makes sense to us or not. You know, lean not unto your own understanding. But that's what we tend to do. So Paul is laying out this case for us. And uh, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 7, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. That is, that is a, a problem that all of us face. It's so easy to get ensnared. It's so easy. James says, you know, no one should say when they're tempted, they're tempted of God. But each one of us is dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires. That's, that's how we end up going the direction we go into. And it's, it's a snare. It's a, it's a trap. Satan will try to trap you. He'll try to set you up so that you will fall into your flesh. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. <clears throat> now David's already told you he doesn't like to run. But this is one that you do want to run. You want to race the race that is set before us. Now what in the world does that mean? It means that there's already a race that has been planned. <clears throat> there's already a, something that's there ahead of time. It's not just on the spur of the moment. Let's just start running. We're running in a race. And that race has been laid out and the boundary set and the start line and the finish line. It's all there. If, if it's not just happenstance. And we got to understand this because this all fits in to the plan of God. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. That's, this, this verse is always blow my mind. Jesus faced the most horrid death known at the time. A torture on the cross. And he knew exactly what was ahead of him. That's why in the garden when he prayed, he says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Because it was a horrendous thing that he was going to face. But here, the writer tells us, for the joy that was set before me endured the cross. In other words, there was a price to be paid. It wasn't an easy price. It was a price of suffering. But he was willing to pay that. For why? Because he knew what the result of that would be. And therefore he had joy because of the end results. All things were together for good. Even suffering. Even that parking place that's not there when you want it. Everything works together for good. 
Because God has a plan. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become worried and discouraged in your souls. <laughs> in other words, you're not the first one <laughs> to face prejudice. Across this world today, they are facing uh, all kinds of persecution. In America, we've gotten persecuted in some form, but not in the form that is going on around the world. We are very fortunate as of yet that it's only philosophies and laws and different things that are changing. But there is this suffering for gain. At least that's what, that's what they told me when I was playing football. No pain, no gain. Well, I said, I should really be, should be gaining. And sure enough, I did. Suffering isn't always wrong. And we find that from Job, a man who was upright in all his ways. And he was persecuted for the reason to show Satan that Job would serve God no matter what he did. And he did. He lost his children. He was extremely wealthy. He lost all he had, all his goods. Then he lost his health. Then he had some friends that came and told him how wrong he was. And his wife who says, curse God and die. That's encouraging. I mean, there wasn't anybody there who's saying, Job, we know you're going through this because there's something that's going to come good out of it. And he endured. It's a picture of Jesus who was faultless, blameless, and yet accused and abused. For consider him who Endure such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. David wrote in his notes about his parents. <laughs> so I'm going to use his illustration. The names have changed to protect the innocent. <clears throat> he said when he was being disciplined as a kid, he really did not like it at all. And he thought, they don't know what they're doing. 
And they're wrong. He says, but when he became a man, he looked back and said, they were right. Because it shaped me. It gave me the parameters. It gave me direction. It changed my pathway. And the same thing's true with us. When we are not serving the Lord with gladness in our heart, when we're not in fellowship with Him, and we've messed up, He does some correction. And I can tell you, you don't want that. <laughs> and the worse, the worse, more stubborn you are, the worse it gets. You know, finally you say, Uncle! <laughs> okay, I've had enough. It's like the prodigal said, it says, and finally he came to his senses after eating what the pigs were eating and the pigs were unclean. He came to his senses. Yeah, you, you tend to do that. You don't want to get to that point. You don't want to be eating slop. Correction for purpose for direction, for your own personal good. And then in Romans, he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't even know how to pray. We don't even know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit intercedes in our behalf because he can see our heart and know the truth. And he reveals to God our heart, not our thoughts, our heart. So many people try to form prayers and figure out the best way to say something. And the reality is the Spirit's praying for you anyway. You have an interpreter. You know, I uh, go over to Dr. Davis. We prepare for our Wednesday night Bible study that we do now in Genesis. And we'll be talking, and I'll say something, and, and then I realize I, that's not what I meant. And he says, that's okay. I already interpreted it for you. <laughs> I, I, I knew what you meant. Well, that's, that's kind of the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He knows our hearts. He searches our hearts so that we don't even know how to pray. But God takes care of that too. What you're going to find out is God is the provider, the encourager, the chastener, gives us all good things and has a plan for our life. <laughs> Bill Bright Kept crusade for Christ, was trying to figure out a way that he could evangelize college students. That's, that was their ministry. He came up with this little pamphlet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And law one was, law one, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you has a wonderful plan for your life. And that's true. (laughs) 
He does love you, and he does have a wonderful plan for you. In Psalm 33:11, it says, "The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of His heart to all generations. God's plans go through all generations. Nothing is going by happenstance. It isn't let's fix this as things come up. God already knows. And he has a plan. God's plan for the ages. So there's a book written about that. In Jeremiah 29, 11 in the NIV, it says this. For I know the plans I have for you, <clears throat> declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Law one, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. He has a plan for you. And we should find comfort at that and find hope in that and say, thank you, Lord, because it was left up to me, I'd certainly mess it up. But you have a plan for me It's my job only to do this. Not my will, but your will be done. Light the path. Show me the way. Direct me. Guide me. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Lead me. That I may follow. That's why we're followers of Jesus Christ not the guide for Jesus Christ. So we follow what he has for us. In the same way, Job 5.12, Job 5.12 says, he thwarts the plans of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He not only guides our life, but he guides the world. Nothing happens on this planet without God allowing it or actually sometimes making it happen. Because God's in charge. And guess what? He's all knowledgeable. He knows what he's doing. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, those he also glorified. Now, this is where we say that word that gets people sideways oftentimes. They can handle the word foreknew. God knows what's going to happen. If I stand on the top of a building and I see two people heading for the corner and I can see that they're going to run into each other, I have the foreknowledge that they're going to do that. But I didn't have anything to do with the causality of it. We can handle that. God, you can know 
but you can't be in charge. That's kind of what we're saying. It's okay for you to know, but for you to be in charge of it, that's another thing. That you're sending these two for a collision course, that can't happen. You can't be in charge. You can only know. And the scripture says, not only did he foreknow, but he also predestined. And we don't usually have a problem with destiny. You hear people all the time, my destiny is, or I'm, I, I was always destined to be. Well, what's, what's that mean? I mean, if you're destined for something, you know, what's that mean? But when it comes in the scripture and it says <clears throat> he, he's already destined us. He knew, so he's, he also predestinated it. <clears throat> in Ephesians, it gets really strongly worded. And people really have a hard time with that too. Before the foundations of the world, he chose you. That's before you were ever born. Now, this is what Paul's going to develop in Romans 9. He's going to develop this whole thing. And he does a masterful job of that because he, like any good lawyer, he recognizes the arguments that are going to come. Well, how can you say, how can you do that? How can that? And he answers it. Every one of those questions. God has a plan. Somehow we don't have a problem with God having a plan. As long as it works out the way we want it to work out. We don't like it if it goes against what we think is just or unjust. Have you ever been accused of something that you didn't do by somebody who doesn't really know all the circumstances? Yeah. And that's those who try to call God into accountability, you can't do that. So Paul says, not only did he know, but he also predestined that we're going to become children of his. If you look in the Gospel of John real quick, and we have these books in the Pews, it's called a Bible. And if you don't have one, take one. The church wants to give it to you. But look at the uh, Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in John, the very first chapter, let's read this verse. Most people are very familiar with John 1.12. Though John 1.12 only part of the thought. It won't come up there because I forgot to tell them. That's why I said we have these books. And All right. So, I'm old. So John 1, 12. Ready? But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God. Now he's going to define something here. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood. Remember, the, he's going to have a conversation, three chapters, the third chapter of John, when Nicodemus comes by night, and he says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? Because she's saying, back. So not, not, born of, not born of blood. And here's the next one. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. These are children, as many as received him and believed in him, he gave the right to become his children. But unless you start patting yourself on the back for your great decision, it wasn't by you, but by God. God's grace given freely to us who are undeserved and are born of the Spirit. John chapter 3 pretty well lays that out. Born of the Spirit, not by fleshly birth and certainly not by you desiring to have it happen, the will of the flesh, nor by your own will. But God chose you in Him before the foundations of the world. As it says in the book of Revelation, let him who have ears, let him hear what the Spirit expressly says. Don't lean on your own understanding. It's okay to have a God who knows everything and is in control of everything. He knows what he's doing. And he's chosen you to be one of his children. What do you do? Simply believe. Simply believe. And God does the rest. <laughs> you can't even come to God unless the Spirit draws you. Read John chapter 6. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. So God's the one who draws you. He's the one who saves you. He's the one who died for you. He loves you. Has a wonderful plan for your life. I know the plans I have for you. This is all good news, people. It's not bad news. It's good news. God's in charge. It's the sovereignty of God. <clears throat> well, what about, and what about, and what about? <clears throat> yeah, we ask those questions. But I'm asking you, why are you asking those questions? What is it that in you <clears throat> that wants to put God in a position of answering what you think or don't think is right? 
But what, what about, what about that? What a, he's got it covered. He knows. He understands. Paul's going to, we're moving right into this whole thing. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according, be called according to his purpose. Means God will take care of you. You're his child. He's got an inheritance reserved for you in heaven. Who are kept by the power of God, Peter says. You're kept by the power of God. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless. Not up to you. It's up to him. That he has begun a good work in you. Will perform it. He'll chastise his children and guide them and lead them. And no one can pluck them out of his hand. No one. Because he loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He's the God of all knowledge, all love, all grace, all power. He knows what he's doing. And we should be celebrating the fact that he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Does he know what happened at that particular time? Yeah, before the foundations of the world, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He had all knowledge. So now we think on this linear line that, you know, this happens and that happens and that. That's not the way God sees it. God knows the whole thing from beginning to end. That's why when he writes in the scripture, he can write from the beginning to the end. We just watched a video in our life group about the very first word in the Bible, Prashish, which has five other words embedded in it that showed the plan of God from the end from the beginning. Tells about the end in the beginning. It's powerful stuff, God. He's a, he's a wonder. It's, it's, it's something to marvel at. Not try to criticize it. Paul goes on to say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No one can pluck you out of my hand. If God is protected, he's got you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. You are mine. Doesn't matter what the world wants to do. Though they slay me, Job says. (laughs) Though they slay me, yet will I serve him. Yeah. Doesn't matter, because all things work out for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Doesn't matter what happens; God's got it in control. He knows. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall we not with Him also freely give Him give us all things? 
Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. We got the greatest lawyer that ever lived. In 1 John, talks about that. We have a, one who pleads our case when the accusation comes. Couldn't have a better lawyer than Jesus Christ. And when they come against him, he says, I paid for that already. It's like you're trying to collect a debt that's already been paid. Doesn't work. You can't collect a debt that is no longer on the books. And who keeps the books? God does. Yes, we not only have a Savior, we not only have one who loves us, cares for us, has a wonderful plan for our life, but he always is interceding on our behalf before this Father in heaven, watching over us. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always there day and night. No one can do what God has done for us. No one can touch the children of the Father who is all-powerful. No one can tear us away from God or his promise that he will work all things together for good. So what could you possibly fear but fear itself? Suffering? We are God's children and heirs with Christ who will suffer. However, our suffering is nothing compared to the incomparable glory we will experience in heaven. There is nothing we have to fear. And we can trust God fully because all things work together for good. The only one who can make this promise is God, who is omniscient, all-knowing, sees everything, is omnipotent, all-powerful. These promises could not be made by anyone else. No one wants pain, suffering, but we can be confident and hopeful because of God's plan. If the glory of being in Christ, in God, is so great that we literally forget the pain, that we no longer access the pain as bad, and we cannot fear it, Children of good parents don't think their parents are good when those children are, get punished. <laughs> but they normally are, especially Christians who are correcting in the right way. So you see God's in charge. You see he has a plan for your life. You see that he knew you before you were born. You can see that he knit you together in your mother's womb. God didn't make any mistakes. You can see that from before we ever were, he already has a plan for us and loves us and cares for us. You can see that he knows what he's doing. And you can see that even in suffering, it will produce good things.
James says, count all joy when you go through various trials. Because they have a purpose. I've talked to people, and people who have gone some, through the, some of the most horrendous things said that it drew them closer to the Lord than they'd ever been before. When, when you're in a situation where you have no power over anything, and the only thing you have is the ability to turn to God, all of a sudden you, you draw near to him. And the scripture says, when you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And so you actually get closer together. We, uh, yeah, we're okay. <laughs> I was in charge of the <clears throat> more mature group, they call them seniors, at a church. And I planned a trip to Seattle. I think maybe you were on that trip. And uh, it was the first time that we'd done this overnight thing. So I called the Seattle Commerce. They were, uh, what do they call that? Uh, hmm? Yeah, Chamber of Commerce. You were on that trip, that's why. <laughs> And I asked for a hotel that was near the railroad because we were going to go down to the Vancouver station, hop the train, and ride it up to Seattle. And then you right there, downtown Seattle, you get off the train, and we were going to walk to, to the hotel. So I said, uh, here's, a, here's a good hotel, reasonably priced. So I called them and made arrangements. And they were under renovation but they had some rooms that they thought they could do for us. And so I, I signed up. We got, we got, the train trip was fine. Everything went great. We had a great time. People loved it. Got to the hotel. And here we are. I got to Seattle. Here we are with our luggage, about 30 <coughs> seniors with their luggage. And I asked where the hotel was. Well, they said, oh, it's about eight blocks uphill this way. Okay, where's the nearest bus? Well, it's downhill, but the streets are one way. So you get, get on the right one that you want to go uptown. And so here we are, suitcases in hand, climbed onto the city bus, and they're all going, what in the world is going on? There's, look at all these homeless people. They got their bags with them and got off the bus, and it was one of those hills that's really, really steep. The ones I'm talking about in Seattle that you, you wonder if your brake's going to hold, one of those. And, 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 we're, and so we've got to walk up hill with our suitcases, these seniors. One guy, I literally took his suitcase, had both suitcases, put my back against his, and <laughs> walked him up the hill. So we got to the, the hotel, and uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be this really nice hotel. Well, in 1885, it probably was. I mean, <laughs> we got into the lobby, and the lobby was probably about 14 by 12. 
trying to fit 30 people in there. And uh, now we're going to take them, get their rooms, get their rooms. We got onto the elevator, and the elevator held two people, or one with luggage. <laughs> so they had to take us up, up there. We got into the rooms, and it was a disaster. I'm telling you all this for a reason. which I hope I remember. <laughs> and uh, so they got to their rooms and it was a total disaster. They, the uh, bathroom had a shower and I'm, people must have been a lot thinner in those days because there, I'm telling you, it was much larger than this. It was all in tile. And one guy said he had to soap up to get in. <laughs> you know? it, it was... Really bad. In our our room, the latrine didn't work, and so they said they'd fix it when when we went to watch the ball game. Came back and it wasn't working, so I had to go downstairs about ten o'clock at night. And since we came in in the morning, there was a sign sitting on the counter: "If you bring a gift back with you, you need to pay for them." I immediately knew what that meant. That meant there were girls that were working. And so here I have the seniors group from this church down the road in a brothel. <laughs> One of the guys woke up to a drug deal going off downstairs. <laughs> well, I want to tell you something what happened. In all that mess, in all the things that went, everything went totally wrong. That was the first time that the group actually had something in common to talk about. <laughs> and they actually grew together. Through that mess, they're laughing and joking about, yeah, you should see what happened. They coalesced together, coalesced together. And what could have been a total disaster, and there was another church I worked at, had that happened, I'd be, bye-bye, David. But they actually grew together and really close. And you probably won't believe this, but for years afterwards, they still talked about it. <laughs> they still talked about it. Why? Because sometimes going through a tough time actually brings you closer Together. God can use anything. Anything. <laughs> so don't worry if you're going through a terrible time in your life. Just know this. It's not easy to endure. But perseverance, going through it, will bring a reward. God has a plan. It's not always the plan we have. And suffering may be part of that plan. But don't worry. God is in charge. He knows what he's doing. So David wrote in here, like when you get a hornet sting. If you were here last week, yeah, he got stung right on the forehead. Well, maybe that's one of the reasons he's not here today. I don't know. It doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter. We're only a mist here. We're here and we're gone. Now, I've lived a few years and I'm thinking my mist is evaporating <laughs> faster all the time. But think about this. You endure for a season that you may have about that I'm healed today it's only for a while we're here and then we're gone and what a great place we're going to preacher was preaching and he said who wants to go to heaven and all raised their head except for one little kid in the front row and he said to the kid he says uh how come you didn't raise your hand? He says, I thought you were getting a busload to go tonight. <laughs> when we all get to heaven, what a great, glorious, wonderful thing. Even though now, if need be, you go through heaviness. Peter says this way. You're in heaviness through many trials, many sufferings, many things. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ.